Amen. On this last Sunday in the season of Lent, we have arrived at the crux of Jesus' passion, which means literally the cross. Today's selection of scripture is one that we usually read on Good Friday, and we will read it again later this week. But today is an appropriate preview since the crucifixion is the main event of the gospel and the main thing that sets us apart as Christians. Other religions or worldviews may conceive of God or gods as, as somewhat loving. They may have stories about God visiting earth in some form. Even resurrection comes into play in some other traditions through reincarnation or an an afterlife of some sort. But Christians alone believe that God came to earth in order to suffer and die a miserable death. This conviction that Christ willingly faced the cross is a strange thing to have at the heart of our faith. So it's important that we take time to reflect on it to seek to understand it as best we can. I'm going to offer just one way of making sense of the cross this morning, which I think fits our context. But I want to preface this by assuring you that it isn't the only way to see it. Jesus' death as well as his resurrection is, is known as, they're known as mysteries. Things have, that have yet to be fully understood or revealed So when we talk about why or how they happened, what God's intent was, we can only talk about theories, things that we have seen in part, as in a particular theory of atonement or at-one-ment. And I personally believe we can hold many of these theories at the same time because the cross is multivalent. It has many faces. We can see it differently based on where we stand. This is why there's four different gospel accounts. They add to the picture through their differing perspectives. And likewise, I hope that our ongoing reflection will continue to add depth and insight to the mystery of the cross. So let's begin with a big picture overview. In Mark's gospel, which we've mostly been following this year, Jesus showed up in Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of God, in which debts are forgiven. And prisoners are freed, and servants are leaders, and domination in all forms is rejected. The people loved this this dream, this movement of Jesus, which is putting it mildly. Jesus became so wildly popular that the crowds wanted to make him their new king. But Jesus resisted this for a while because he knew that the Roman Empire wouldn't put up with that kind of language. Besides, Jesus was talking about the global kingdom of God, which was much bigger than just one particular nation. And yet the crowds, they continued to press on Jesus, these political aspirations. So on the Sunday before the big festival of Passover, When Jerusalem, the capital, was overrun with pilgrims, Jesus agreed to ride in to town in a royal procession. He came riding in on a donkey as a symbol of his peaceful kingdom. And the crowds waved palm branches to greet him as a reminder of the revolutions that had come before. 
Even though, of course, this revolution was meant to be a revolution of love. Hosanna, they said. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Wave those revolutionary branches if you have them. We celebrate this revolution of love. That week in Jerusalem, Jesus continued on teaching and preaching about the reign of God. He criticized the temple establishment and commanded his disciples to choose love over exploitation. But then the local officials became jealous of Jesus' popularity and they conspired to have him arrested. They rigged a trial and convinced the governor to have Jesus executed. As it became clear that this new revolutionary leader was being taken down, Jesus' inner circle of followers all scattered and abandoned him. Which brings us up to the present part of the story. We read in today's section how as Jesus was being arrested and convicted and then tortured, he did nothing to stop it. Jesus didn't run. He didn't defend himself. He didn't rally his supporters to come to his aid. Jesus even pointed out that if he wanted to, he could have a battalion of angels come to rescue him, but he didn't do that either. Many people in the crowd assumed that this must mean that Jesus was a fraud. Because if, if he really had power, then surely he would use it to escape. The people who taunted Jesus echoed the voice of temptation in the wilderness, the one that he had faced early in his ministry, saying, if you are the Son of God, if you're really God's Son, then save yourself. But once again, as Jesus went to the cross, he refused to give in to that temptation to face power with power. The message was clear. Jesus' revolution was about love. And the inevitable consequence of that commitment is suffering. So Jesus faced the worst kind of suffering to show the depths of God's love. He was mocked, tortured, stolen from, humiliated. Jesus was stripped naked and nailed to a tree, which was a type of curse. And then he was left on display to face an agonizing death, a public sign of defeat and disgrace. This was meant to be the most brutal form of punishment imaginable. The absolute worst way to die. And Jesus endured it all simply because this is what happens to people who seek first the kingdom of God. In which fighting back simply isn't an option. Jesus told a parable once, a story about a man who owned a vineyard. The owner of the vineyard went away for a long time, left some tenant farmers in charge of his estate. And while he was away, the tenants took over the vineyard and claimed it for themselves. At harvest time, the owner sent a servant to the tenants to collect some of the fruit 
from the vineyard. But the tenants beat that servant and sent him away empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant and another. But those also the tenants beat and treated shamefully and threw out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What am I going to do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they'll listen to him. But when the tenants saw the son, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said to themselves. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw the son out of the vineyard and killed him. This was a story, a parable that Jesus told about himself. For Jesus knew that as God's son, he would be thrown out and killed for coming to reclaim God's world. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. And yet as he hung there on the cross, as his life was draining away, still he cried out with the words of the psalmist, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because loneliness and doubt were also a part of his suffering. Jesus felt so alone and abandoned even by God on account of his unwavering love. And yet in that moment, Jesus himself was still not alone. God had not abandoned him. God was still there, watching the only begotten Son be brutally murdered. We read that during the crucifixion, the sky turned black as on a cloudy day, perhaps as a sign of God's foreboding presence in the midst of these events, as with Moses on the mountain. And then when Jesus died, the curtain in the sanctuary was torn top to bottom, a sign of mourning in that culture. As God wept deeply over the loss of his firstborn child. Some of Jesus' last words were, it is finished. So those in attendance assumed that this was the end of the story. That Jesus' death meant that his revolution was ended, that he was defeated. And if that was true, then this story would indeed be a tragedy. As St. Paul once wrote, if it, if it is for this life only that we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But of course we know that that was not the end. Because a couple of days later, Jesus rose again. It turned out that he had, been, he had been broken, but he was not defeated. Jesus was down, but he was not out. He had been horrifically tortured and killed, but even death did not stop him. This victory of Jesus, it was... It was such an unexpected turn of events that most people, understandably, they had a hard time believing it. 
Even after the disciples met the risen Christ in person, they continued to have doubts. They they continued to hide from the authorities and to meet with one another only in secret for fear that they too would suffer and be crucified. It wasn't until 50 days after the resurrection, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost. And that's when things started to change. Then the disciples themselves started to rise up. When the Spirit of Christ came to live in His followers, to encourage and support them as fellow sons and daughters of God, then they too had the boldness to go out and do the things that Jesus had done, to continue proclaiming the kingdom of God and its righteousness, even if it meant facing suffering and death the way that Jesus had. This is how the way of the cross, the way of suffering, became the very means of overcoming the world. It turned out that Jesus had to face death first as the firstborn of many so that we too would be empowered to go out with the spirit of love and of self-discipline and unwavering commitment. Jesus told us that we will continue to face persecution when we follow him in proclaiming God's kingdom. We too will continue to suffer in various ways as he suffered. For as he said, the servants are not better than the master. Jesus said to us, surely in this world, you will continue to have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus showed us the way to persevere through suffering to the very end. So we know that when, when we love people, as Jesus loved, and we don't defend ourselves or fight back as Jesus refused to do, we know and can expect that we also will suffer sabotage and betrayal. When we seek systemic change through persuasion rather than coercion, we too will face rejection and ridicule when we choose the path of of humility and patience while also speaking truth to power, we also will be scapegoated and cast out. At some point, we too might even feel abandoned by God. And yet we are assured in the cross that this is exactly when God is with us, standing with those who suffer unjustly. And we who follow Jesus know that that suffering and death will never have the last word. By now, I'm hoping it's fairly obvious what it might look like today for us to pick up our crosses 
and follow Him. It's as simple as doing the things that Jesus did. Working to heal others. Casting out evil. Speaking up for the oppressed. Setting prisoners free. We too can do all of this without fear as Jesus did. Knowing that it will be painful and yet that God will nevertheless see us through. For this is our faith. And we don't even have to go looking for opportunities to suffer with Jesus. Seeing as how most of us are already somewhat familiar with it. For instance, have you ever been mocked or insulted for trying to do the right thing? Have you ever been stolen from, humiliated, disgraced, or tempted to despair when you were just doing your best to be faithful? At some point, have you ever wanted to cry out with Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'd be willing to go out on a limb and say that Anyone who has ever tried to love another human being, truly love them, has encountered at least one of these hardships. Because love itself inevitably entails suffering. If you do it right, if you make yourself vulnerable, then eventually you will get hurt. This is part of what we mean when we say that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. God sent Jesus knowing that loving the world would entail loss. That Jesus Himself would be vulnerable to death. And given the tendencies of humanity that suffering would come to the Son of God just like it comes to each one of us. So the message for us is clear and relatively simple. If we also want greater life, eternal life, then we too must embrace the way of the cross. Not seeking to protect ourselves or save our lives, but to pour them out for others. Not seeking to overpower our enemies but to overcome them through long-suffering love. If we also want the world to thrive, to be saved, then we too must embrace it with the same vulnerability and sacrifice that Jesus did. For truly, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in His suffering we too find salvation. May we also be filled with His Spirit that we might continue to seek first the kingdom of God with boldness, remembering that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen?